be reminded too much of what Jesus did. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. And as I've said so many times, I'm so amazed the way God puts things together. Uh, you know, it's one thing to try to sit down and to figure out a preaching plan that, you know, I'm going to start here and next week go there and the next week there. And sometimes on a series while well, you're able to do that, but a lot of times I've noticed it just seems like, well, it doesn't seem like God just puts things together. And, uh, and that's kind of the way with the message tonight. Last week, I preached about serving successfully, which means simply to discover and to do the will of God. That, that's what success is all about, because regardless of what else we do, if we're not doing the will of God, well, we're failing in life. This morning we talked about uh, the example of Jesus whenever he prayed, not, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And so tonight I want to speak to you about the purpose of prayer. And verse 10 is our text, but I want to read beginning in verse number 9. Matthew 6, verse number 9. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Most of the time when we think about prayer, we think about the purpose being to get something, get what we want. And uh, that's well and good in one sense, but that's not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of prayer is for God's will to be done. And some people say that, you know, they, they want God's will to be done. But what they really mean, if you, if you look at their actions and their attitude, they mean, I want God's will to be done as long as it meets with my approval. In other words, if it turns out the way that I, that, that I like, you know, that would be fine and that would be wonderful. Uh, but let's face it, there are a lot of times when God's will is contrary to our desires. He wants one thing, and we want another. And the, to complicate things further, we tend to be selfish and stubborn. I mean, that's true of all of us to some degree. We're selfish, we're stubborn, we get something in our mind that we, you know, that we know that we want, and we just won't let go of it. Well, our text tonight comes from a, from a part of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this particular part, the verse I just read, uh, is uh, a part of what is commonly called the Lord's Prayer. I really don't think that uh, that's a very good uh, title for this section. The real Lord's Prayer is in John 17. But this is a model, this is an example of how we ought to pray. That's what the Lord intended. In other words, you need to think about this as a pattern for prayer. And uh, today we're focused just on this one part here in verse 10, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I don't think I need to convince you that those who love the Lord, want to see God's purposes fulfilled. 
As the psalmist said in Psalms 40, I delight to do thy will, O God. And that, you know, that's the desire of the heart of everybody that loves the Lord. And as we pray, we ought to express our concern for God's will to be accomplished. Uh, I, I look out here tonight and think about all of you folks that are so faithful week after week. And not only are you faithful in your attendance, but you're generous in your giving, you're you're zealous in your service, and uh, you love one another. And it's obvious from your lifestyle that that you are more concerned about God's will than you are about having your own will in life. But we all need this reminder that as we pray uh, day by day, that God's will is the primary thing. First of all, this relates to every part of the pattern prayer here. And uh, we start out where he says, And after this manner pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But we can't, we, we can't reverence God's name unless we honor God's will. So you can't even pray the first part of that if God's will is not your primary objective. You look on through the prayer, and it speaks about give us this day our daily bread. We cannot expect God's provisions if we do not submit to God's word. Then we cannot receive God's forgiveness unless we follow God's ways. We cannot be victorious over temptation if we do wickedly. So this part of the prayer in some way relates to every other part of the prayer. So I I guess a simple way to just sum it all up, uh, you know, in a very brief statement is to say that we cannot pray as we ought to pray if God's will is not our primary objective. So this relates to everything about the manner in which we should pray. Secondly, it reveals our faith in God. Whenever we pray, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, that reveals our faith in God. First of all, that acknowledges our belief that God knows best. Listen, that's no small thing to acknowledge that God knows better than I do because one of man's biggest problems is that he thinks he's wiser than God. He, you go all the way back to, to the deception of Satan whenever he deceived Eve. And he said, in the day that you eat thereof, you'll know. And, and, and in other words, I'll expand your knowledge and you'll experience something that God is withholding from you. And so she made that decision to violate God's righteous standard and to disobey God all because evidently in her mind, whether she would admit it or not, her reasoning is that, you know, I know what's better for me than, than anybody else does. Whenever we pray, Thy will be done, we are acknowledging that we believe that God knows what is best for us. Secondly, it enables us to accept difficulties because there's a lot of times in life that God's will leads us into difficult situations. I've often talked about reading the biographies of missionaries and famous preachers in years gone by. And inevitably, as you read their stories, there's one thing that always leaps out at you, and that is that all of these people overcame great difficulties in order to be used of God. 
I, I mean, it, it's heartbreaking if, uh, to, to read to the Golden Shore, uh, Shore by Adirondack Judson and to think about, uh, you know, think about the suffering that he went through there and the death of his children, the death of his wife, and all of those heartbreaking experiences. And you would think, you know, in your mind that, you know, if somebody is so faithful to God, if they love the Lord so much that they're willing to give up everything here and go to some foreign country where nobody even wants them to be, you would think that God would say, all right, I'm going to exempt you from suffering. But it doesn't work that way. God, in His wisdom, allows them to go through those difficulties and simply because God knows that He, in His divine plan, is going to use those difficulties in some way to further His kingdom and in some way ultimately to be a blessing to them. So whenever we pray, Thy will be done... It's revealing our faith in God, which acknowledges our belief God knows best. It enables us to accept difficulties. It affects our reasoning, by the way. If I pray, Thy will be done, uh, and really mean it with all of my heart, then I've got to admit to the fact that it's going to be contrary to my natural reasoning. All of us can think of instances in our life Whereas we face a certain situation and we reason out in our mind the way that things ought to be, you know, we'd come up with one answer and then we look in the Bible and we find there's another answer. You know, I I, I don't know if you'll understand what I'm about to say, but I don't always agree with God. That might sound strange, but I'm talking about in my natural reasoning And I can think of instances where I know what the Bible says and I believe it. I know that it's true and I follow it, by the way. But if God in that same given situation said to me, I want you to just use your own reasoning about what you ought to do, I would have come up with a different answer. Uh, you say, well, I, you really got me confused now. So let me give you an example. And I don't want to get too far off course, but I want to give you an example so you'll understand what I mean when you pray, thy will be done. It means that you are you are willing to do something that's contrary to your natural reasoning. I know what the Bible teaches about marriage and divorce. I know what the Bible teaches about remarriage. Listen, I am not mad at anyone. I do not have any hard feelings toward anyone that's been divorced or divorced and remarried or what have you. But I know what the Bible teaches about that. That affects whether or not I perform those ceremonies. And and I've got to make a decision based not not on my reasoning, but on what the Word of God says. In my reasoning, and boy, listen, this really is close to home when it involves your children, and one of your one of your daughters marries a jerk. I won't say which one, and uh, and so you children. Uh, I don't know if they cut me off then, or they're <laughs> maybe, maybe they're monitoring the situation, going to edit this out or something. 
But think about it. Here, here's a woman that has two or three little kids and some guy gets to running around and ends up and leaves his wife and there she is all alone. You know, there's a part of me that reasons, listen, sweetheart, go out here and find some good-looking, handsome, rich man that, you know, that church every week and latch on to him and marry him as fast as you can. You know, that, that's, that's the way I think. But I've got to go by the, by the Word of God. I, I can't base it on my feelings or on my reasoning. Now, that's just, boy, it's quiet in here. Listen, that's just one example, but that applies to every area of your life because there are going to be times that you find yourself up against a situation to where you think one thing or or it might be that others advise you in a different direction. It might even be a preacher that advises you this is the route that you ought to take. And by the way, you can always find a preacher somewhere that will agree with you. Just look long enough and I'll guarantee you, you can find one that will agree with you. It's not a matter of whether or not you are right or whether he is right. It's a matter of what does the Word of God say. So when I pray thy will be done, that affects my reasoning. Not only that, but it aids in resisting peer pressure. Uh, you know, God's will is not always the popular thing to do, is it? Well, wouldn't this be a different world if it was popular for everybody to do what God wanted? It's never been that way. It's never going to be that way, not in, not in our lifetime, not until the Lord comes. And so whenever you go off to work or the kiddos go off to school or whatever it is, they're going to be faced with situations and peer pressure put on them by others. Listen, and because they are so outnumbered, for them to take a stand on what God says, you know, they're going to be made to look like some kind of an idiot or a hate monger. They're going, they're, they're going to accuse you of hating them and all kinds of false accusations leveled against you. They're going to make life as difficult as they can. All because you have decided that God's will being done is more important than anything else. But I say to you, if we ever get to that place in our life where God's will is not the primary thing that we're living for, if that's not the standard by which we gauge everything that we do, if that's, if that's not the rule book that we're going to follow, what is? You see, there is, there is no standard of right and wrong if it isn't the Bible. So when we throw the Bible out, we have, we have simply taken the position that, you know, that we're all free to do whatever is right in our own eyes, like they did in the book of Judges. So let's just, you know, everybody, if it feels good, do it, and just have, have your, your will in life. That's the way a lot of people want to live. That's the way a lot of people are living, and they base all of the decisions on what they want. But when I get to that place in my life that more than anything else, I want God's will to be done, that aids me in resisting the peer pressure that I'm subjected to. The day after I got saved and I go back to work and I announce to all of my drinking buddies that I have become a Christian, 
that didn't stop them from in trying to encourage me to go out and have a drink after work. Didn't stop them a bit. I mean, they kept saying, come on, you need to go with us. Ah, it's not going to hurt anything or nobody will know or, or whatever. And anytime you take a stand like that and you go against the grain of your peers, all of a sudden, you know, people say, well, I don't want to become a Christian. I have to leave all my friends. You don't have to leave anybody. They'll start leaving you. They don't want anything to do with you. Why? Because the will of God is of no concern to them, and all of a sudden that's your primary interest, so they're going to, they're going to start leaving you. Not only that, but in revealing your faith in God, it does so in another way in that it causes us to attempt the impossible. You know, there are a lot of things in life that we cannot do in and of ourselves. And the Bible says, love your enemies and forgive those, you know, that despitefully use you and so forth. And none of us are strong enough in and of ourselves to do that. It becomes an impossibility. And some people just reason why they, you know, I I could never forgive that person. Just think of all the awful, horrible, terrible things they did and how deeply they hurt me. I could never forgive them. Why should I even try to forgive them? But whenever the will of God is our primary interest and we pray, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, all of a sudden we are willing to accept those challenges that ordinarily would frighten us. And knowing what God wants, we're willing to, we're willing to do what God says. In other words, we don't look before we leap any longer. We just leap because God says jump. And, and we leap into his arms trusting him. Can, can you imagine how foolish it must have seemed to Gideon whenever God began to cut down the size of his army? Oh, no, no, that's, that's way too many. And, and it goes back to that matter of reasoning that we were talking about, right? And he could sit down and reason it out. Or he could get all of the, all of the leaders of the land together and say, now look, this is the situation that we face and... Uh, anybody got any suggestions about what we do? Well, uh, you, you know within your heart that the very last thing that anybody would suggest is, you know, let's cut down the size of our army. You know, we don't need but 300 men, and so let's just let's just start sending people home. And they attempted the impossible. And the Bible is full of examples. And let me tell you, history is full of examples of men and women who attempted the impossible because they believed that's what God wanted them to do. We look around and we see what God has done here and we think about what God has done in the last few years. And Brother Ron has often referred to it. It wasn't, you know, all that many years ago and there was a time that, you know, Brother Ron would write out the paychecks and say, now you, you need to hold this an extra day till we get the money in. There's not enough money to cover it. I mean, it was nip and tuck. We didn't know how we were going to meet our obligations, but we just kept on doing the best that we knew how to do what God wanted us to do. God moved us out of that that area where we were at and gave us some visibility, got us out here, uh, right on 1960, 
All, all of a sudden, we look at the building, we think about, well, we need this and we need that, but we don't have we don't have enough money to do that. I mean, look, you just sit down with a pencil and a piece of paper, and you look at the at the checkbook and the amount of money that you've got, and the extent doing what needs to be done in order to increase the size of the auditorium and make room for more people. And you look at that and you say, well, we can't do that. You know, it would be impossible. And, you know, it's just like God says, no, it's uh, it, it'll be all right. Just go ahead and vote on it. Vote to do it. It amuses me in some ways that, you know, every year whenever we present the budget and we vote on the budget, and as you know, uh, our budget, a lot of times we look at the budget and we add up all of the items on it, and then we look at our income from the year before, and we say, well, th- there's no way we can do that. And, and a lot of people that's never been through this and never experienced God doing this, it frightens them because they think, you know, it doesn't even make good sense that we would have a budget that is larger than what our income was the year before. Well, if you take God out of the equation, that would be a stupid thing to do. But you see, our, our only concern needs to be, is this what God wants us to do? If it's what God wants us to do, then you mark it down. God's going to provide the need. So when my primary interest is I pray is, Lord, not my will. It's not what I want, but what you want to be done, Lord. That's all that I'm concerned about. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Now, not only that, but I want you to notice that in addition to relating to every other part of this prayer... In addition to revealing our faith in God, this requires surrender to God. Now, before I go on, I want you to notice something because a lot of times we look at this and we just think about, we just think about ourselves. In other words, we just look at these, this verse and this statement and this part of the prayer and we don't relate it to anyone but us, but But we need to notice that it goes beyond us personally. Notice this is a prayer for the whole earth to be filled with people who do the will of God just as all of the angels in heaven do the will of God. That we are to pray, Thy will be done where? In earth. He's not talking about just with a select few. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, how is it in heaven? Well, in heaven, every every being in heaven is living in subjection to God, total subjection to God. So this is, listen, this is what the Lord wants. And by the way, this is the way it's going to be eventually when God gets through, when His plan is finished. It'll be this way. And we're to be praying for this. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So this includes more than you. This is what God wants for every single person on this earth, that they be submitted to His will. But naturally, it can't happen on a wholesale level like that. It can't happen everywhere if it doesn't happen with us as individuals. So it's only as you and I change that the world begins to change around us. If you want to see God's kingdom extended to the whole earth, 
Well, first of all, you have to be willing to surrender yourself to the Lord. And before we can truthfully say, Thy kingdom come, you did notice he put that part in there, right? Thy kingdom come. We have to say, My kingdom in. My kingdom in. There's got to be a stop to me ruling and reigning in my own life, and I have to surrender my will for His will. So prayer is not a way to get what we want. It's a prayer to get what God wants and to become what God desires. So whenever we pray for God's will to be done, we're confessing that God knows best and we're willing to surrender ourselves to that. And, uh, you know, even, listen, even whenever, when our prayer relates to our needs, We've got a perfect right, an invitation, in fact, to come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So God's concerned about our needs. God wants you to pray about your needs. But we have to always pray about our needs in the context of what God wants. And I say that because our needs are to be determined by God Let me ask you, are you willing to let God define your needs? That's an important question because a lot of times what God describes as our needs is different than what we decide that we need. In other words, we've got one idea. We need this or we need that. You know, and so we're going to pray, Lord, give me this or give me that. And, you know, if God doesn't, well, we feel like we've been shortchanged. We feel like that, you know, God didn't keep His promise. We feel like God really wasn't concerned or, you know, whatever. We've always got some kind of an excuse to get ourselves off of the hook. And the fact of the matter is, whenever we pray, Lord, for Your will to be done, and it relates to the needs that we think we have in our life, there's a lot of times those needs are not what we really need. And God knows the difference we don't. It's so easy for us to get confused. Lord, Lord, you know, I, I need for you to heal me. Well, you might need for the Lord to heal you so you can feel better and go fishing tomorrow. You know, you might need it in that sense. But it might be that you don't really need to be healed right now. Is that a possibility? Absolutely. I mean, you know, were that not the case? Were that not the case? Those people that love God and serve God, that are faithful to God, they'd never even get sick. But God allows it to happen, and God not only allows it to happen, God sometimes allows it to linger, and sometimes God causes us to have to live out the rest of the days of our life with some physical affliction, and God doesn't fix it. Does that mean God doesn't care? No, it doesn't mean God doesn't care. It doesn't mean that at all. God does care. But God has a plan that's bigger than anything that you and I can understand. And instead of trying to figure it out, instead of trying to understand why God does what He does, we need to just rest in the fact that God has a good reason for it. And we need to remember that His will is always right. Amen. It's right. 
Even though it conflicts with what we want and the way that we feel and what others tell us, God's will is right. God's will is not only right, God's will is best. And God's will is, is safest. Now, here's the thing about it. If we, if we can understand the nature of God's will, it will enable us to accept God's will without any reluctance. You see, that's where the problem comes in because there's so many people, they think of God as being a divine party pooper. You know, they think God is just somebody that wants to take all of the fun out of life, that God just unnecessarily wants to withhold blessings from us. And so they have a, a tendency to, to resent God's will being done in their life. Let me give you something that, that I think might help. We've been encouraging everyone to read through Romans chapter 12 uh, each day throughout the month. Let's just go back there to chapter 1 and the first two verses. And uh, I want to show you something that will help you understand the nature of God's will and hopefully will make all of the difference in the world. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Well, no, wait. That's exactly what I'm talking about here in regards to the will of God. It requires surrender on our part. For God's will to be done, I've got to surrender myself. Well, Paul is right on track here when he says, I'm begging you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And notice he says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Not anything unreasonable about it whatsoever. Verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove. That's a very important word, and we're going to talk about it later. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, there are three words here that describes the nature of God's will. Paul says that it is good it is acceptable, and it's perfect. And so I want you to look at those three words and think about them, and when you do, it will dispel all of your fears of God's will for your life. Because face it, a lot of people are afraid of God's will. They're afraid, you know, oh, if I pray, Lord, thy will to be done, uh, you know, you might not heal me. If I pray thy will to be done, I might not get what I've been wanting, you, you know. And so a lot of people fear that. Lord, if I pray, Lord, thy will be done, what if, what if he sends me to a mission field over across the sea somewhere? Just like that would be a horrible thing. But yet people are frightened of God's will, and they're frightened because they don't understand it. Now notice these three words... And the will of God, Paul says, does three things. Number one, God's will promotes holiness. He says that it is good. God's will is good. In the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, there are three different Greek words that's translated good. And we're not going to go into a big deep study about that or anything. But the one that is used here means excellence to the highest degree, and there is no English equivalent to it. Just like whenever we talk about God's love, that word love comes from the Greek word agape. It's that God kind of love. 
you know, it's not the infatuation that uh, young couples have one for another. It's not even that tender affection, but rather it's that God kind of love, that self-sacrificing kind of love that comes from God. In the same way that that word defines the love of God, this particular word used here is a word for which we have no English equivalent. It's a word that is, that is good in the very highest sense. So he says the will of God is good. He doesn't say it's bad. He doesn't say it's something you need to be afraid of, but rather it's something that is good. For one thing, it's morally good. Morally good. I do God's will. I've done good. I have done the highest good possible. You see, we never go wrong whenever we follow God's will for our life. It might be hard, but it's always right. But secondly, I want you to notice, we look at the very next word that he uses, and not only does it promote holiness, but it produces harmony. The word acceptable, it is good and it is acceptable. If you look in Webster's Dictionary, harmony has to do and is defined as pleasing agreements of parts. And this particular word here has to do with being agreeable or well-pleasing or fully agreeable. So in doing the will of God, it brings me into harmony in my relationship with God. You know, a lot of times we talk about the fact that as Baptists we believe that we have eternal security, that we can never lose our salvation. That's true. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. We talk about the fact that we can never lose our relationship with God, but often we express the effects of sin by saying, although we can't lose our relationship, we can break our fellowship. That's true, that whenever I sin against God, it is though I am now out of harmony or agreement with God. So when I do the will of God, that brings me into harmony with the will of God. And by the way, God doesn't accept any substitutes. I was talking about that, I believe it was last week, about the fact that in the doing of God's will, if God calls me to preach, for example, it's not enough for me to, to just preach somewhere. Uh, it's a matter of me preaching where God wants me to be. And, and in other words, I can't substitute something else for it. Or if God wants me to do one thing, I can't say, well, you know, I'd really rather not do that, but I don't mind doing this, you know. I know that we need Sunday school teachers or we need this or that. But instead of doing that, Lord, I I happen to, you know, my uncle died and left me some inheritance and I've got some money left over. And I, hey, instead of me teaching that class uh, or coming down to help on work day or something, how about I just give a double tithe the next few weeks or something? and pay our way out of it. There are no substitutes when it comes to the will of God. And if I'm going to live my life in harmony with God, if I'm going to avoid discord between me and God, if I'm going to abide in Christ, which makes us 
fruitful, according to John chapter 15. If that's going to happen, I've got to be in harmony with God, and it's in the doing of the will of God that that harmony is possible. Why? Because God's will is acceptable. God's will is good. And then thirdly, notice the third word, we learn from this that God's will produces happiness. He describes it as being perfect. It is good, it is acceptable, and he says perfect. That word perfect means finished or complete. It's talking about something that is mature or something that is fulfilled. And so the will of God embraces the completeness of our responsibility. You know, we look in the world and we, and of course, many times, you know, we are motivated by the expectations of other people, right? Somebody's pressuring us to go in this direction or that direction or to do this or to do that. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not uh, their expectations. Maybe, maybe what we do is born out of our own personal desires. This is just something that we really want to do. And there's so many times we let our decisions be based on that and, uh, and maybe think to ourselves now that now that we've done that, we've relieved ourselves of our responsibility, when in reality, in the doing of the will of God, I don't need to do any more than that. I don't need to live up to your expectations. I don't need to have to fulfill my desires. When I've done the will of God, that's all God requires me to do. If the truth be known, there have been a lot of times that we preachers have been guilty of trying to make people feel guilty because they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And the fact of the matter is, we don't know all of the facts. We don't have the big picture. We don't know all of the details. We don't know what they're going through. You know, from outward appearance, it seems like, well, they don't care anything about the church. I mean, they, you know, they, they're hardly ever here or they never come on Sunday night or they don't do this or they don't do that. And we just jump to the conclusion, well, you know, they're not here because they don't care. Boy, I can speak as an authority on that because I spent, I spent more than a few years in the first part of my ministry being that kind of a judgmental person, and I'm not proud of it. I'm just telling you, look, and you do it thinking you're right because you've got to take a stand for what's right, and you've got to rebuke people when they're wrong. And the fact of the matter is we don't know how other people feel. We don't know what they're going through. Now, listen, this will help some of you because some of you, it might be that you fear... If you don't do this and you don't do that, the preacher is going to get upset about it or you're going to disappoint somebody else. Listen, you take that pressure off of yourself. You figure out what God wants you to do. Now, you better be right. But you figure out what God wants you to do based on the principles of His Word. And once you know what God wants you to do, you do that because that, listen, that is the completion, as it were, the completeness of your responsibility. Now, I just got through saying that God's will provides happiness. And I say that because when we know that we've done the will of God and we don't have to answer to anybody else, all of a sudden that creates an attitude of contentment. I mean, all of a sudden we have peace. And, you know, that's... 
that produces happiness. Now we're well-adjusted. We're at peace with ourselves. We're not trying to live up to anybody's expectations. We're not trying to stretch ourselves beyond that which we're able or anything. We just rest in the fact that I've just prayed for God's will to be done. I'm willing to accept whatever it is. God hasn't seen fit to change anything. And I'm, listen, I am perfectly agreeable to live with that. And all of a sudden, we've got a peace and a joy, a happiness we've never had before. So here you have these three words that's describing for you the nature of God's will. Look at that, and you say to yourself then, well, I don't have anything to fear because all of this is working in my favor. It, it produces holiness, and it's the pro- it produces harmony. It produces happiness in my life. Now, notice, notice that word prove, that ye may prove. And that means to test or approve, allow, discern, examine, or to try. Put it to test. Here's what Paul is saying here, that God's will has to be experienced to be enjoyed. I've often said, you know, that God wants for you what you would want for yourself if you were as smart as God. That's exactly, listen, that's exactly what God wants. It's exactly what you would want if you knew what God did. Now, Paul was a man who knew from experience the blessedness of being in the will of God. And that's why he said there in, in Philippians where he says, you know, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, Paul knew from experience. Here is a man that had taken his hands off of his life and said, here am I, Lord, send me, use me, do with me, whatever. Here is a man that took his life like a blank sheet of paper and put it before the Lord and said, here, you write the script. I'm willing to follow it, whatever it is. And having experienced that, as Paul writes to the Romans here, he wants them to have that experience. He wants them to know that you don't have anything to fear in the will of God. Why? Because it is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. And I say to you tonight that as you pray, Thy will be done You don't have anything to fear because when you do that, you're asking God to do the very best thing possible in your life. And there couldn't be anything more Christ-like than that. Amen? You know, I think of Him kneeling there in the garden praying, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. In other words, Lord, whatever You want, uh, that's all that's important to me. And, And I hope tonight that... In some way, this will help you as you think about God's will for your life. I, you know, I, I know there are so many times that people have decisions that, they, uh, that they're dealing with, things that they're trying to figure out. And I've known people that even when it comes down to the matter of what church they ought to be a member of, they're afraid Grandpa might get mad if they leave that church. After all, you know, Grandpa helped build that church with his own hands. He loved that church dearly, and he'll turn over in his grave. Mama will get mad, and Daddy will get mad. And and so, you know, I, I, I really like Lakeway, and I think I'll just keep attending Lakeway, but uh, I wish I'd have said that this morning. 
I, I really, I believe, I believe there's some folks, I believe there's some folks that are in that situation for some reason. They want to hang on and cling to the relationship with another church even though it hadn't been there in years. And yet they're identified with that church, but they want to be here. Let me tell you, listen, you do what God wants you to do. If God's will is for you to be here, if it makes the devil and all of his imps mad, and if it calls your friends to turn against you, you don't need those kind of friends anyway. You just figure out what God wants you to do, and you do it, and I'll guarantee you, you'll be the better for it. Not my will, but thy will be done in earth just like it is in heaven. Let's all stand. Father, tonight we thank you. We thank you for revealing your will and your word and through the ministry of your spirit that you lead and direct us and we're so grateful that we're not left to ourselves. We're so thankful that we don't have to depend on the advice of others but rather, Lord, that you give us clear counsel from your word. And I pray tonight that we might submit ourselves to you without any reservation and without any hesitation. And may we just yield ourselves to you completely. May we truly be able to pray without any, without any uh, dishonesty whatsoever. Thy will be done. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for directing our lives in Jesus' name.